Good morning. It is great to see you guys here today here in Maryville. Welcome everybody in Knoxville as well. Glad you guys are connecting. And uh, we're in a series called The Pursuit of Wisdom. And so last week we talked about the wisdom of the cross. Today we want to talk about the wisdom of trusting God. So if you've got a Bible, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 3. My first question for you today is what are you trusting in? Who or what are you trusting in today? Now, I know you are trusting in a few things today. The first thing I would say is you're trusting in the chair that you're sitting in. Uh, If you didn't trust in that chair, you would not be sitting. You're you're trusting in me today, and I appreciate that. You're you're coming to hear a message that that you believe is going to be a faithful preaching of God's Word, and so I'm I'm thankful that you trust me. You're trusting our cafe volunteers today because you drank their coffee and uh, you're trusting our, our kids' volunteers uh, with your kids, and you're trusting that the campus is safe today, so we're trusting our shepherds and, and that they are doing their ministry really well. And so for you and I, we have the ability to be a very trusting people. However, experience teaches us that we can't trust everything or everyone, right? We've all been burnt. We've all been hurt. In fact, Americans are not as trusting as we once were. Pew Research Center released a study on Americans in their trust in 2022, and they found that before COVID, 40% of Americans had a great deal of trust in medical scientists. And today that number has fallen to a mere 29%. The study also showed that our trust has significantly dropped in the police in business leaders, in school principals. It showed that 70% of Americans say they don't trust politicians. Shocker. Surprise it's not higher. It also showed that only 55% of Americans have a fair amount of confidence and trust in religious leaders. So as a country, our trust in each other has drastically fallen. We're becoming very uh, negative and critical about our leaders. And my question is, I I wonder what the impact is and how it has shifted uh, in our spiritual life. Like the, the, the connection between our cynicism and negativity and lack of trust for all of the leaders in our communities and cultures, I'm wondering how that has impacted our spiritual life. I'm sure there's got to be some type of correlation. I don't know the answer. I'm just asking. We simply don't trust religious leaders. We don't trust business leaders, school leaders, medical leaders, government leaders. Who or what do we trust then? Like what can we depend upon? And so for that, we turn to the book of Proverbs today because Proverbs is written mostly by Solomon. God calls him the wisest man who ever lived. And in these pages... It is a a father who is compiling everything that he knows, everything that he has learned, and he is giving this to his son in hopes that his son would be a good, responsible, godly, productive uh, contributor to society. And so the Proverbs are, are simply general truths and principles for life, and that's what we need. We need principles for our life to live by. Uh, Last week, we said that wisdom is skillful living according to God's word. And we learned that God wants to give us wisdom. We just simply have to ask. 
We learn that it's more priceless. Wisdom is more priceless than money, than jewels. It's the, it's the greatest thing you could ever receive in this lifetime. And so today, we're going to learn that in a world of untrustworthy people, God is the one that you and I can completely trust in. And so Proverbs 3 is one of the most, uh, I think, popular uh, Proverbs and really uh, verses in all of the Bible. And so let's dive into it today. Solomon says, my son, do not forget my teaching. So a few things just to kind of see here. Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart actually keep my commandments for length of days and years, right? I love that idea of years of life and peace. They will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Very interesting word here. We'll get to that. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor. Okay, here are the benefits, right? We're going to find favor, actually. And we're going to find good success, right? In the sight of God and man. So just kind of first glance here, we see when we do not forget the teaching, and in other words, we, we, we are remembering it, and we're letting our heart keep it, which means we're actually doing them, then we're going to get a few benefits here. And one of the benefits is years of life, right? Who wants to live long? Me. <laughs> years of life. We're also going to see that we're going to get success in the sight of God and of man, when we do not forget, we're also going to have the actual favor of God in our life, right? So if we're going to just kind of highlight this in one word or one sentence, I would say remember the word of God. Remember the word of God. Keep the word of God. Remember his commandments. That's essentially what he is saying. Solomon is a father here. He's writing because he wants his son to remember everything that he taught him. He wants him to remember the commandments of God that he has invested into his son. Right? And he's not just stressing uh, compliance to uh, his son. He's not saying, hey, just check the box and follow the rules. No, he wants his heart to be submitted to the word of God. Think about it like this. A, a teacher of a third grader wants one of her students to sit down. And so she says, little Johnny, have a seat. And he says, no. She asks again, little Johnny, have a seat. And he says, no. A third time she says, sit down or you're going to go to the principal's office. And he finally sits down. And he says, my body might be sitting, but my heart is still standing. <laughs> right? We've seen that in our kids. What, what is that? That's called compliance. So a, a, a obedience without submission is compliance. God is not after your compliance. Like, hey, just jump through this hoop. Check that box, do this, do that, follow the rules, be a good little boy. That's not what he is saying. What he wants is submission. He wants us to have a heart submission to him. We don't just want an outward action. Like some of you, maybe you're here because your wife wanted you to be here or your parents made you come, right? That is compliance. I'll go so that, you know, she'll hang out with me tonight, or I'll go because I know I'm going to get in trouble if I don't. God's not after your compliance. You're not getting any rewards or blessing for being here if you're here out of checking a box, 
jumping through a hoop, somebody made you, you're complying to somebody's will. God wants us to actually have a heart commitment to him. He says, let your heart keep them, right? Your heart, in other words, everything flows from our heart. So God is after your heart. He wants you to love him. That's where our passion is, our dedication is, our focus is. And so he wants not just compliance, he wants us to submit to him out of love for him. And so out of a love and respect and awe and relationship with him, we say, God, I will remember, I will keep, I will follow your commands. He says, don't let faithfulness and steadfast love forsake you. And so the Hebrew word there is the word hesed. And so that's the, the same word that God uses as this covenantal relationship of this, this love that he has for his people. And so he is encouraging us to, to actually understand that uh, we need to remember the covenant of love that God has for us and, and not to forsake those commands. And of course, if you go down you know, the path of illicit sex and drugs and greed and, 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 and all of the things, your life can be cut short because those things are dangerous and harmful to our life. It brings chaos into our life instead of peace. So you, you won't live with God's blessing and favor, but, but we, so, so he calls us to, with a steadfast love, remember that com commandment. Remember his love and willfully submit to those commands. It will bring long life, he says. We all probably pause here and say, well, what about the faithful young Christian that dies tragically? What happened to their long life? And uh, I think you can believe and obey, and sometimes things don't go our way, right? People get cancer, accidents happen, and sometimes we suffer, but, but I think the, the principle is still true because the rewards will no doubt come in the next life. And so you could say that the lo location of long life here, the promise, is, is irrelevant because if we obey God's commands, it will bring long life either today in this world or in heaven forever. And so we can, we can have hope in that. Verse 3, he says to bind these commandments around our neck. Think about it like this. If your father or your husband bought you a, a beautiful diamond necklace, you would cherish that necklace. You would wear it and you would remember who gave it to you. There would be an endearment and in love and, and you would remember him every time you put that around your neck. The same idea. It's this idea of remembering and following and, and our love for him growing as we think about his commands and how he has blessed us. Then it says, write them on the tablet of your heart. This takes our, our mind back to Deuteronomy 6. We read it a few weeks ago where he said to, to bind these commands on our hands and our forehead. Again, this is covenant language from God that he's using. The Ten Commandments were written on stone tablets. Israelites didn't uh, follow them. Right? And so this idea that, that uh, we are to write them on the tablet of our heart alludes to the future covenant that God was going to give to the Israelite people, what you and I enjoy today. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, the Lord, de the Lord declares, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their heart. So the tablet of your heart is this idea that, that he is pointing to. His language is preparing us for the cross of Jesus. And the cross of Jesus is that the, the sacrifice of Christ dying on the cross pays for our sin, provides a way 
for you and I to have forgiveness of our sin, a right relationship with God, that the Holy Spirit is then given to us. And so the word of God, the love of God is written upon the tablet of your heart. Theologians call it regeneration. Last week we talked about this moment of salvation. And in this moment when we are putting our faith and trust in Jesus, he is saving us, he is regenerating our spirit, he's giving us a brand new heart, he turns our heart of stone into a heart of flesh, and he is writing his word on our heart, allowing us then to truly begin to know him and follow him and obey him. Last Sunday, we baptized 22 people. Praise God that took that decision. Yeah. Many of those first-time decisions. If, if you didn't get baptized last week and you want to get baptized, you're ready for that next step. Scan that QR code and register for our next baptism, which is in a, in a couple of weeks. And we'll encourage you. And, and he tells us to remember the word of God. Let's keep going here in verse 5. He says, trust in the Lord, right? This is the verse. So here, here we are. Trust in the Lord with all, not part, but all of your heart. And then he says, do not lean, right? So there's this, there's this action of trusting, and then there's this idea of not leaning on what? Our own understanding. So then he says, in all your ways, acknowledge him, this is huge. What, we're going to talk about what acknowledge him actually looks like. But when we do trust and when we do not lean and when we acknowledge, what will he do? He will make our paths actually straight, right? So see the connection here. Trusting, straight path. Do not lean, straight path. Acknowledging him, straight path. So what is he saying? He's saying trust the Lord completely with all of your heart. Don't lean on your understanding, but in, with, with all of your heart, with all of who you are. In a culture that doesn't trust anyone or anything, you and I are called to trust in the Lord. And so we're motivated to remember his word and to keep it and to love it and to obey it. We're motivated, how? By our trust in him. Our trust in him motivates us. We believe him. And so we remember the commands belong to him. You're not following Trent's commands. You're not following your parents' commands. You're not following a right-wing command or a Republican command or a Democratic command. When we turn to the Word of God, we are turning to the commands and wisdom and truth of our Creator. Let's keep that in perspective. Let's turn to the Word and see what He actually is telling us to do. And He is asking us to trust that His Word is true. Your ways, your thoughts, are going to seem better than God's ways. My, I, that happens to me all the time. My way, my plan seems better than what God's plan actually is. And you're going to think that it looks easier. You're going to think that it looks better your way. You're going to think that, well, the uh, co community is going to accept my way more so than God's way. And so there's going to be a wrestling there. But God says, you can trust me. You can trust my understanding not your own understanding. Think about it like this. A two-year-old at a birthday party wants to eat five cupcakes. And what's a, a good parent going to do? A good parent's going to cut off this kid from eating five cupcakes, right? But that's not going to stop him from wanting it. He's going to cry. He's not going to see the long-term sugar effects. He's not going to see the health effects. He's not, he's not going to see. He's not going to be able to take a nap. He doesn't understand fully how it's going to hurt him. 
But, but, but as adults, we know five cupcakes is going to make him sick. It's not a good thing. We're not going to allow him to do that. In a similar way, your understanding is so limited. In some ways, it's like a two-year-old, right? When we're, when we're thinking about the grand depths of God's wisdom in our life, I mean, we have to realize that we're just like a two-year-old sometimes. God, fix it. God, do this. Why aren't you doing this? And he's like, because five cupcakes are going to make you sick, man. Trust me. Lean into me. Lean on me, not your simple understanding. You aren't a two-year-old anymore, even though sometimes we act like it. The world says live together before you get married. And God says, look, you're not going to experience true intimacy until you make a covenantal commitment called marriage. Just won't happen. You won't get it. The world says divorce, that's going to solve your problems. And then God says, I hate divorce. The world says, hold on to a grudge. And God says, look, if you don't forgive your brother like like I forgive you, then you're missing the whole point of what it means to follow me. And, And so a million different examples of how our heart wants to do this, but God's word says this, we're constantly leaning on something. Which way will you lean today? Will you lean on God and his truth or will you trust in your own understanding? I think it is important. I think trust kind of really boils down to two words that that I would share with you today. Trust kind of boils down to dependence and confidence. What are you depending on and what are you confident in? Most of the time in my life, I see that I'm depending upon my own wisdom. And so I'm constantly asking God to help me depend on his wisdom I think a lot of times my my confidence is in myself. I don't know if this is true for you, but we're confident in our own skills and our own abilities and our own wisdom, our own knowledge. And so we can go weeks sometimes without even asking God to help us have wisdom or to pray about a decision. What what are you depending on? What are you confident in? I I think confidence is one of the things that, that we struggle with the most. Now, this doesn't mean that we presume upon God. In other words, we don't assume that God is gonna, gonna do X and, and, and Y. And so I'm not gonna say, you know, God is gonna baptize 22 people next Sunday. That's presumption. That's assuming. I, I do not know the future. You don't know the future. And so we wanna be careful about our words. Words carry weight. So I'm not gonna say, thus saith the Lord. That's already kind of happened in the Bible. Not, not me to say. But I can say I'm believing God is gonna baptize a lot of people next week, or I'm believing that God is going to do this. I'm, I'm trusting and I believe that God is able to move this situation. And so our language, we, 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 we've, got to, we've got to include that language in our daily conversations and with our spouse. And, and as we're talking about life with, with our small group, like I'm believing this is going to happen. What does that do? That connects our trust in God. It, it, it helps us to lean upon our understanding. It breaks us out of our cynicism and negativity and lack of trust that we walk in all day long. So how do we trust God? Uh, I mean, a few very practical things that he gives to us here. He says, acknowledge God daily. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Now in the word acknowledge is the word know, right? N-K-N-O. So when we talk about acknowledging God, we first have to know God. So if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never committed your life to him, you don't have faith in Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection, you do not know God. You cannot know God unless you know Jesus. 
And so that's the first part. To acknowledge him means that we know him. But this Hebrew word for acknowledge is the Hebrew word yada, right? And, and it's where George Lucas got the name Yoda. I'm just kidding. I don't know that. It's just waking everybody up. Y-A-D-A, yada. And it simply means an experiential knowledge. So there's a, a head knowledge of, of who God is. But then there's also a heart knowledge. I've experienced him. I'm, 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 I'm believing in him. I'm, I'm walking with him. I'm aware of him, which is big. To acknowledge God, listen, means that we are aware of him. So we're saying things like, I believe maybe God brought this person in my life today, or I believe God provided me you know, in this way, and, 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 and I'm believing this, and maybe this. This is the, the, the language of Christians that we should be talking about. So often we just don't talk about God as if he is working in our life. We go all week without even mentioning his name. To acknowledge him means we're aware, we know he is with us, right? And then in verse 6, he says, when we do this, he will make your path straight. Now, during the time Solomon is writing this, to travel was very dangerous. And we didn't have the road system at that time like we do today. There's no pavement so traveling on a, a path basically is a trail. It would have been very difficult and also very dangerous. And so if you're a, if you're a guy who was a king or you know, a rich person that had servants, you would, on a traveling journey, you would send your, your, uh, your guys up ahead of you and you would look for danger and you would look for holes in the road and you would look for trees that have fallen. And, and what they would do is they would go ahead and, and, and they would repair the bumps and they would remove the obstacles and they would get things out of the way. What were they doing? They were making the path straight. It's exactly what God does for you. When you are faithful to God, when you are leaning upon him, when you are trusting in him, when you are acknowledging him in your life, in your business, in every area of your life, he goes before us and he removes the obstacles. Isn't that beautiful? God has removed so many obstacles in your life and we're just ungrateful. There are things that he has prevented in your life that you don't even know about, will never know about because of your faithfulness. He has made your path straight. Now, that doesn't mean that all roads are going to be uh, straight or there's not gonna be any problems that, 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 that come up. There's not gonna be any bumps in the road, so to speak. But in the midst of the bumps, in the midst of the treacherous parts of the road as we continue to acknowledge him and trust him and, and, and remember his words in our life, he is smoothing out the future. And we're recognizing that even in those moments, we know that the future is, is gonna smooth out, like, like better days are ahead. The, 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 the bumpy road is not gonna be here forever. It's just a season. Why? Because God, as we acknowledge him, is making our path straight. So we trust in God. That means we acknowledge him. But then here, secondly, in verse seven, he continues. He says, be not wise in your own eyes. So anytime I see, you know, my Bible is all kind of written up. That's why I like this. But he says, be not wise. So kind of verbs I like to circle and draw my attention to. Be not wise in my own eyes. And, other, and, and on the other side here, he says to actually fear who? Oh, I'm supposed to fear the Lord. Not only am I, my mentality is I'm not wise, God is wise, I'm not wise, I'm going to actually turn away from evil. 
right? And when I am not wise, in other words, I'm humble and I don't act like I know it all, and when I fear the Lord, and when I turn away from evil, then what's it going to bring into my life? Well, he says, it's going to bring healing, healing to your flesh, which is an interesting word. We'll get to it. And then he says he's also going to bring us refreshment. It's going to be to our bones, our inner being. So don't be wise, fear the Lord, turn away from evil. Boom, we're going to get healing. We're going to get refreshment into our life. So we might just simply say it like this. Honor God, turn from evil. Honor God, turn from evil. He says, fear the Lord, right? And we know this in in the scripture. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So we fear the Lord and we turn from evil. This is what he's saying. Now, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Is it that like, you know, we're supposed to be afraid of him like, you know, you're afraid of snakes and spiders? Um, I was mowing on Friday and I'm, I'm just, you know, going along in my own world, got the podcast going, my headphones, and I'm in, in another world as I'm listening and I'm trying to get it done as fast as possible. And then all of a sudden as I'm going and minding my own business, all of a sudden I come upon this spider web with this gigantic spider and it was in my face, like right here. I was like, ah! immediately breaks, reverse, shoe off, karate chopping, you know, to get this thing out of here. I I wouldn't say I'm afraid of them. I just hate them, and I think they should all die. I mean, (laughs) murder spiders, bad. Um, Are we supposed to fear God in that way? And it's not, that's not the mentality. The mentality is that we have this extreme level of honor, an extreme level of awe and respect. And that leads us to worship this God who is so completely beautiful and perfect, and, and, and we are unable to actually grasp his glory and majesty, and we're also understanding what he is capable of doing. He's in control of all things. So if you had a, 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 a good father, you were, you were afraid of him in the sense that you knew he loved you, but you also knew that if you disobeyed him, like he was gonna correct you. And so there was a healthy fear there. And so the same idea is that we have this healthy awe in obedience that flows because we respect God, we want to worship him. I love what author Douglas O'Donnell says. He, he says that the fear of the Lord essentially means trembling trust, that we tremble in his presence of his, of his glory and awe and what he is capable of. And at the same time, we are trusting in him because we know what he can do, what he wants to do and what he has done in our life. And so we We fear the Lord, he says, but then we are to shun evil or turn away from evil. Very practical here. What does your life look like today when we say turn away from evil? It's Halloween season. And so we're about to see all the scary stuff come out, all the demonic come out again. All the decorations and all the scary outfits and the scary movies and the demon possession that that is in movies and on TV. All of that stuff is going to be in front of us again Right? And, and for many Christians, I think there's an there's a unhealthy fear of the demonic and an unhealthy fear of, of, of that spiritual side of things. I mean, think about it like this. Who are demons afraid of? Who's Satan afraid of? Well, James chapter 2 says the demons believe and they tremble. They shudder. They're, they fear God. And so as Christians, what do we do in this season um, and and I, would, I would really caution you, and I want to tell you what to do on this, but 
I would say that we cannot take a pagan holiday and just embrace it as is. And so if you're decorating in the skulls and the scary and the demonic and all of this kind of stuff and you're watching this on TV and your kids are watching this, I would, I would caution you that that is not healthy for us as believers. Like what we should do, I believe, is redeem Halloween. If you're going to do it at all, we've got to redeem it. So what does redemption look like? We take pagan Holloways, we redeem it by the gospel, so we dress differently. We're princesses and, and, you know, superheroes. We're not decorating evil. And we're also, like, bringing in neighbors into our life and and, and in our family. Why? So that we can invite them to church. Let's go, you know, door-to-door and get candy together, and I'm going to love on you, encourage you, and I'm going to invite you to church. I'm going to share the gospel. So we're using this opportunity to get people around us to build relationships and have an opportunity to share the gospel. If you do that, you're redeeming it. If you accept it as is, you're not shunning or turning from evil. We are embracing the evil in this pagan holiday, just like a non-believer. And we can't and shouldn't do that. He says, shun, turn from evil. Now, we also look at this in terms of sin. And so what sin is in our life that we are embracing, that we are, are not turning from, we're not running from. Some of us think, well, it's not hurting anybody, so that's why I'm doing it. Nobody knows, so it's okay. Verse 7, do not be wise. Do not think or believe that you are wise in your own eyes, he says. In other words, be humble. Don't lean on your understanding. Don't think you have all the answers. Don't pretend like you know more than God or you know more than your parents or you know more than some other person. Don't act like you don't need a pastor in your life or a mentor in your life. Don't act like you don't need parents in your life. He says that's unwise, that's stupid, that's foolish. We all need people in our life who are helping us see the blind spots and the sin that is in our life. So he says, be not wise in your own eyes. And and, and when you don't uh, think you have all the answers, you are fearing the Lord, you're turning from evil. When you are living with that type of heart and that posture in your life, verse eight, he says healing will come to your flesh. Healing will come to your flesh. I love the Hebrew word is is actually naval, right? This is the word. Now, here in the South, we're going to pronounce that navel, right? Everybody say navel. (laughs) It literally means umbilical cord in Hebrew. It's only used two times in, in the Old Testament, two times in the Bible. And so it's really cool that that this idea that just like a preborn child is connected to uh, its mother through the umbilical cord. And what, what, is, what is that umbilical cord doing? Every, every nutrient and energy and life that is in that mom is being shared to that preborn child through the umbilical cord. Right? All the refreshment, all the life sustaining nutrients that that child needs to be alive and to grow is given to it. And in the same way, he's saying when you fear evil, when, when you acknowledge God, when you lean on the understanding of God, you remember his word. When you are not wise in your own eyes, it's going to be that life-giving nourishment that your soul needs. Why is there so much anxiety and depression in the world? There's not a heart connection to the truth of God's word. We're missing it. We're missing the nutrients and the life-giving power that comes from knowing God and following God and being healed by God on a daily basis. Thirdly, and finally, let's read the next two verses. 
in verse 9, he says, okay, now we want to honor, right? <clears throat> so we're going to honor the Lord. And how do we honor the Lord? Well, he says, with our wealth. And then he says, with the, not just our wealth, but actually the first fruits of our wealth and all of your produce. And then, right, that's the key word, then your barns will be what? Filled. You'll have everything you need. You'll have plenty. And your vats, I don't know if anybody has any vats at home, but they're going to be bursting with wine, right? That's exciting for some of you. But here, here's what it actually <laughs> means. It means honor God with wealth. Honor God with your wealth. It's very simple. So we're honoring God here today by acknowledging him. We're honoring him by uh, turning from evil. And now he says, honor God with your wealth. Now, uh, the old uh, saying I heard growing up in church is that um, worship involves three books. God's book, the hymn book, and the pocketbook. <laughs> and we've got to understand all three in order to get our worship right with God. And so he is saying here that trusting the Lord with all of your heart <clears throat> means trusting him with your money. So God is honored when his people give to him their first and their best. That word first fruits uh, actually uh, makes a lot of sense because it essentially means that he doesn't want us to give him our leftovers. So to give what is left over or less is not to honor God. That's to dishonor God. The Israelites were commanded as, a, as, as, as farmers in that, in that culture that they were to bring to God their first crops, the, the first of their livestock to sacrifice. Now, Think of that for a moment and how trusting you would have to be to actually do that. Think about it. Um, some of you grew a garden this summer and you're probably winding down, but you got some peppers, you got some tomatoes, you got your cucumbers, right? Imagine if there were no grocery stores and, and, and there was no place to go buy food and that was how you were going to feed your family uh, this December. And so you bring all the tomatoes in and in and, 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 and this mentality to give to God of the first fruits, it would be to gather the first batch of the crop and then to take it to the Lord. And so you're saying, I trust God that you're going to keep growing fruit on this vine. And I trust God that you're going to do that and you're going to provide for my family. Now, in the same way in our culture today, we're not dependent upon our garden to feed us. And so in the same way, what, 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 what it boils down to, and this is just, this is just logic, and this is just what, it, what he's saying, is that it, it all comes down to our paycheck. Like, like the first fruits of our paycheck is the, is the first percentage that, that God is calling us to give. He says when you give your first and your best, you are trusting him. If you aren't, you're failing to trust God. You're leaning on your own understanding. You're leaning on worldly principles of finances instead of Godly principles of finance. I've never had anybody call me and say, hey, um, I need some counseling, Trent, and come in and just say, here's the problem with my life. My problem is that I'm just, I'm just too greedy, and my greed is ruining my marriage and my family. Never had it. Because greed is seen in other people, and it's really hard to be seen in ourselves. It's hard to see it in the mirror. We like to look at the government and we will, you know, say the government is, is greedy. Look, they can't even balance a budget, can't even get it together. And, and, and most Americans, they don't balance their budget. They spend way more than they actually earn. We like to criticize 
uh, people that we think are, are rich. And uh, a lot of, you know, all those rich people have everything they want. Do you realize that you can make $500,000 and be in just as much debt and financially tapped as somebody who makes $50,000? See it all the time, hear it all the time. Um, people who make $50,000 have to actually learn how to budget their money and People with 500,000 just think it's going to keep flowing in, and so they tend to perhaps never get a grasp on it. So I think the reality is that a lot of people who, who when, we, when we say first fruits, say, well, I don't have anything uh, left, and so there's nothing to give. And so that mentality is, is leaning on our own understanding. It's not leaning upon the truth of Scripture here. He says to give the first fruits. Now, a lot of wealthy people, they, they don't have money like in the bank, believe it or not. I talk to them. Most of their money is like tied up in assets. So they have, you know, stuff. They have cars and they have, they, they have property and they have businesses and they have all this. And, and so when we say, hey, you know, you know, this is what the Lord wants. Let's give. It's like, well, I don't have any money. And it's true, but it's all like tied up in assets. And, and if you have kids, your money's tied up in your kids. I was talking to someone the other day and it was like, um, we're thinking about having another kid, but I, I don't know if we can afford it. It's like, you know, it's just like, I didn't realize how expensive kids were. And one of my friends said, listen, no matter how many kids you have, they take it all. <laughs> they take it all. If you have four kids, they will take it all. If you have two kids, they'll take it. If you have one kid, you'll spend everything on that one kid. So I think we have to realize that nobody has anything left over. Nobody in the room, I don't care what your salary is. But if you're, um, if you're thinking in terms of leftovers, you're never going to have it. And if you're giving your kids your first and your best and, and seeking to give God what's left over, you're never going to be faithful with your resources. That's called idolatry. Our kids come second. God comes first. Kids get leftovers, not God. If you're wealthy and, you know, your assets or, or your money is all tied up in assets, I want to I get you to start thinking about something. What if you sold a piece of property? What if you sold something so that you could invest it into eternity? What, what if you sold something that, that, that then you could use a, a large portion of that to help this church, um, I don't know, buy property and, 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 and parking or help buy um, or, or create a counseling center. Oh, our, our Knoxville location needs about a million dollars to be able to um, renovate further to, to get a, a kid space that is, is, is what we need it to be. And you know, we need at least $600,000 here to get property. And we just had a piece of equipment this past week go out that we had to not, not ready for that we had to um, purchase and and if you were in the first service, then you saw everything glitch out. Well, something died, and we had to replace that. And it just, it's just life. We need to repave the parking lot. It's life. You know, we got to maintain the, the, and be good stewards of what God has given to us. I could give you a list. If you want a list, email me. I will give you a list. I mean, it's literally thousands and thousands of dollars that we need. And every dollar that is given, then we are able to do ministry. And even though we don't have a counseling center, we've moved in the area of counseling and and uh, seeing a lot of people because of the staff we were able to get and the, and the training that we've been able to do. And this coming week, Pastor Alex, our student pastor, he's taken 100 students uh, into the mountains to train them how to be leaders. 
And when you talk about the future of our country, those are the kinds of things that we need. Are you all with me with that? Nobody said amen, so I didn't know if you were asleep or if you care about that. That's a hundred of our teenagers for, for, an, for, for three days. And, and so these are the kinds of things that, that we're doing as a church. And the great thing about giving to FC is that you get a great return on your investment <laughs> because you see 22 t- people get baptized. We've almost got, I think, 130 baptized. We're not even done with the year yet. We're seeing people's lives transformed. And so it's not like giving to a dead church where that would be kind of depressing. You're giving and God is actually blessing. You're giving and God is actually doing something incredible with the resources that you and I are giving. And so here's what he says. When you and I give, when we give our first and best, God gives you more. When you give your first and best, God gives you more. Now, I know some of you are going to think, well, this is health and wealth, prosperity, gospel. It's, it's what the Bible says. You can interpret it through your little lens of the whatever documentaries you've watched and the guys you've seen on, you know, and some people do. Some people take it. Prosperity, gospel. This is the principle. Like when you are faithful in giving your first and best, God gives you more. Verse 10, your barns will be filled, your vats will be bursting with wine. In other words, you will harvest more than you planted. It's the principle of the harvest. Like as a farmer, you can plant the seed, you can water it, you can give it good soil, you can pull weeds, but you cannot make it grow. God is the one that grows. And so when we give our first and best, God grows things that only He can grow. And that's the principle. So when we give our first and best, God gives us more. It's not a get rich plan. It's a faithfulness plan. It's a leaning on His understanding, not my understanding. It's a trusting in God. If you're not giving to God, I can tell you this, with, and I've gone through it myself. There's not a fully release of trust in God if you are not giving to God. It's just, it's just you just can't have both. And so I wanna encourage you, each of us, to acknowledge Him, to lean on Him, to trust in Him. Some of you are praying for wisdom and you're trying to decide some big things in your life and that is great. He will make your path straight. If you're acknowledging Him, if you're honoring Him and turning from evil, and when you are honoring Him with your wealth. A couple, few weeks ago, Mike and I went to a concert at Thompson Bowling and um, at the end of the concert, if you, you, you know this when you've been there, everybody leaves at the same time when that happens and you are like a sardine in the hallway. You know, you're just kind of filing through just like this because there's people everywhere and you're all trying to get out. And, you know, I'm walking and my hand is behind me. Her hand is in my hand. And as we kind of got stuck here, she kind of leaned up and I leaned back and she was like, I am glad you are 6'4 because I cannot see where I'm going or what we are doing. (laughs) I was like, just hold on, babe, we'll get out of here. And I thought about that this week because in so many ways, that's what it means to just trust in God and not lean on your own understanding. It is trusting in Him. We just simply take Him by the hand. I can't see what, where we're going all the time. I, I don't know exactly what the path is, but I'm holding your hand and I'm trusting in you. I wanna encourage you to do that today in whatever area of your life you're trying to hold on to, to just release it today. And we're gonna close our time with that song, Trust in God. I wanna encourage everybody to stay, to sing this, let it come out of your heart today. And, and, and as, we, as we close, we're also gonna take the, the Lord's Supper. So you should have received the juice and the, and the, and the uh, bread and our section leaders. Just raise your hand if you didn't get one. Scripture tells us to confess sin, to reconnect with God. And then as we take the bread and the juice, we're remembering the, 
that the blood of Jesus was sacrificed for our sins. And so the juice represents the blood that was poured out. The bread represents the broken body that Jesus um, paid for on the cross. And we recognize that the reason why we give, the reason why we trust is because God gave his first and his best to us. And so the Lord's Supper is a way to remember that sacrifice and to trust in it today. So as the band sings, you take it on your own and we will worship him as we close. Father, Lord, we want to trust you. Help us, God, to move in the direction of trust all over the room, whether it be our understanding, whether it be turning from evil, whether it be financially. God, I pray that you would move us in the direction of trust today. We love you and we praise you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like this video and leave a comment. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss an upload from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, you can go to our website, foothillschurch.com, or by clicking the link in the description below.